Hello, everyone. My name is Kevin Verga, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Devin D'Agostino. And I'm also joined, not always, with William Beatriz. Will Beatriz. Will, Devin, how are you? Doing well. Glad to have Will here. The incomparable, fantastic, my former mentor. No, you know, a current mentor. Always mentor. (laughs) Friend. Brother. Wow. Yeah. Will, <laughs> take a while. Thanks, Devin. I really appreciate that. And it's really great to see you, Kevin. This is an honor of a lifetime right here, being on your podcast. Wow. The highest of praise, and I can only give it right back to you, Will. It's, it's good to have you here. Now, in just a moment, all three of us, Devin, Will, and I, are going to stop making sense. And what that means is every week we're going to choose a new Talking head song to analyze and ponder. And we let our minds wander to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music. And we answer such burning questions as who took the money? Who took the money away? Where? Where is my common sense? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And as always, where is that large automobile? Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Uh, This week's episode, we're doing cities off of fear of music. What is everyone's first impressions of the song? Yeah, so my first question was, why are we afraid of music? So I don't know if you guys could give more context, perhaps that would make more sense for me, but why did I choose this album title? That is a fantastic question, Well, and I actually have an answer for you. So at the time of recording, David Byrne was being threatened by a man named Music, He said, I'm going to kill you, David Byrne. Me, Mr. Music, Mr. Music. And that is where his fear of music came from. Hence the song title. And actually, every song on here is about that man, music. Music was short for music Kamala. Music Kamala. Music Kamala. Hey, congratulations, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden on a great Democratic National Convention. Congratulations. You, Devin, just so you know, uh, firstly, that's a completely true story um, about Mr. Music. Secondly, uh, I, I edit these and put them out weeks and months after they're recorded. So who the hell knows when this is going to get released and who the hell knows uh, what's in store for our friends Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. But sure, we can give them a congratulations. That's a nice ticket. Um, yeah. So, Will, did that answer your question? Or did that only give you more, more questions? Um, both. Have you ever been afraid of music? Yeah, I'd say I have been. Mostly when I'm afraid of music, I think it's when the music, like, speaks to me too much. Like, I feel like they know me too well. And then, you know, then you have to face your inner securities. Then you have to face the bigger questions. Do you do you care to name an example of maybe a song or a recent event where this happened? Because that's that's very interesting. I'm glad you asked. Um, there's one song called "Cities" by this cool band called the Talking Heads. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And it made you. I'm terrified of this song. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified of this song. And you're shaking, shivering in the corner of your room. I see you on Zoom. You're across the room. You're terrified and blue in the face. Yes. I'm afraid that's of the I... Halloween theme song. When I was a kid, that scared the heck out of me. I kind of say we had these lights. At, we had these Halloween lights. I'm going to go with it. And they were Friday the 13th heads, but they played the Halloween song. Like someone got in trouble for that. You just know somebody somewhere got in trouble like trademarks and mixing things up 
but will i do want to get onto your fear of cities but like i just needed to that's something that's wait, been wait, wait, wait. i want to talk about the, i want to talk about the lights one second if you don't will one second yeah, i'm please. sorry i know you gave us a great uh <laughs> you know segue to get to the song and the mather but you're telling me Devin, that you found and you owned and operated at one point jason Voorhees lights with the the hockey mask and somehow they played the music that is associated with Halloween featuring Michael Myers. And they fla- flashed red, white, and blue. So they were like very patriotic too. I don't know what was going on. I would love to get a glimpse into the minds of the people who made these Halloween lights, but maybe they were for the 4th of July. I don't know what, but yeah, crazy. <laughs> I have to get that off my chest. It's been weighing on me for a while. And this is our 13th episode Unlucky 13, Friday the 13th, Jason Heads, we did it, end of episode. (laughs) Thank you everyone for listening, we've come full circle already. Will, thank you so much for joining us, do you have any closing remarks? Is that like the end of the show, like there's only 13 shows to your series? That's that's it, I think think we did all the Talking Heads songs, right? We did it all, we said everything there is to be said. We stopped Congrats. making sense. <laughs> Thank you. Congrats on your on your nomination, Kevin and Devin. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Everyone, thank you for listening. This has been a great I did prepare a speech, episode. actually. Oh, do you want to give it? Yeah, yeah. Um, first, I'd like to thank David Byrne, of course, and the rest of the Talking Heads for making music. Secondly, I'd like to thank Mr. Music for not being successful in his murder attempts on David Byrne. And third, I would like to thank... That's it, actually. That's it. Just two people. Jeez, not even your mom? Oh, thanks, Mom. Thanks, what Mom, for having me. What kind of son me. are you, Devin? <laughs> thanks, Mom, for having me with ears so I could listen to David Byrne and the Talking Heads and Will and Kevin and the Halloween music coming out of those Jason Voorhees lights on Friday the 13th. <laughs> thanks, everyone. This has been a great show. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, so Will, I, I have a question. What what made you afraid of the song Cities? Because we did kind of thrust it upon you. Uh, we've had it, Rachel and Emma previously where I made them personalized playlists and they got to choose from anywhere from five to 12 songs. We said, Will, we'd like to do Cities with you. Was that what scared you or was it actually the content of the song that you uh, found nerve-wracking? Yeah, no, it was the content. Um, I was very happy that you picked one for me so that I wouldn't, I would have less work to do. Um, thank you for that, by the way. Um, but also very much appreciated that you, that you thought of me enough to pick out one single song that you knew that I would appreciate. Um, and I appreciated so much that I fear the song. You appreciate it so much that you are now afraid of the song that we chose for you. Yeah. I, was going to, I was going to say we picked the song because it has your name in it, but nowhere in the song does he say, Will. So there goes that joke. <laughs> I really thought, doesn't he say, I will find myself a civic living? But he doesn't. That's really disappointing. Yeah, it does. I will, I will find Oh, it does. Okay, so that's why we picked it for you, because it has the, your name in it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll give you... Um, I'll give you credit for your joke, Devin. Thank you, thank you. One I'll laugh at your joke. Deposited into the bank of Devin. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, well, well, let's hop into this song. Yeah, let's and do maybe, it. Will, when we get close to the area that scares you, you just give us a heads up and maybe we'll take it a little bit slower. Do, do you yeah. have a deal? Okay. Like give that us a terrified great. screech. <laughs> like ah! Just a, yeah. a blood-curling, uh, <laughs> curdling roar. Okay, so the song opens up. Firstly, we're on the album Fear of Music. We discussed that. It's the fourth song off this album. We just concluded the song Paper. We go into uh, Cities, and then it's followed by Left During Wartime, a nice trio there. But we're going to obviously focus on Cities. We open up with the lines, Think of London, a small city. It's dark, dark in the daytime. People sleep, sleep in the daytime, if they want to, if they want to. Initial thoughts. Have you guys ever been to London? I have not been to no. London. No. I have been to London. Was it small? It, it wasn't necessarily a small city. 
it was a bit dark in the daytime and I did sleep, sleep in the daytime if I wanted to, if I wanted to, because I was a, a bit jet lagged. It was the first time I left the country, actually. Yeah. It was for my uh, 21st birthday. So it's kind of interesting. I, I left the United States being a 20 year old. I wasn't allowed to drink. I land in London in Heathrow Airport. I was now allowed to drink. Within 20 minutes, I was met with two of my good friends. They met me in the airport, which is very nice. We took the tube all the way back. And within 20 minutes after that, getting off the tube, I was with a bunch of other friends that were already in London. And I was in a diner drinking fine wine with some, with some friends. And it was kind of surreal being in a different country my first time out of the, city, first time out of, uh, the United States, um, being with my friends. But when I do know this, uh, the next day I was very hungry. So I went to like a diner and I ordered what I would order at a, you know, New York city diner, pancakes, eggs, sausage, and they put it down and it looked like, you know, when you take a picture of something and you like take saturation out and it just becomes kind of grayish. That's what they put in front of me. It was like gray bacon, gray sausage, gray eggs. And I was like, this place is dark, dark in the daytime. So I learned to order the hometown cuisine and they didn't have any instant coffee. That was really not understandable to them. So, did they have tea? Did you drink tea? I drink. I drink a lot of tea, but okay. all I wanted was just, you know, one instant coffee out of a Keurig. Yeah. I mean, they had good uh, espresso and and cappuccino, but that's my experience with London. Will, have you ever been in London? I've never been to London, so I can't tell you how the how Pete's looks there. <laughs> what is the city you've been to, and could you tell us about it? Um, yeah, I've been to a few cities. I've nice. been to Detroit. Yeah. Detroit. Yeah. And in Detroit, there's tons of diners and um, sort of like, you know, the type of diner where you can get breakfast with sausage, eggs, and pancakes. Um, but they call them Coney Islands there. And so it's like a thing. Their word for diners, Coney Island. It's not as dark as what you're describing from London, but that's just like, well, what I think of, um, when I think of Detroit first is Coney Islands. So when you it's, think of Detroit, you think of Coney Islands. Coney <laughs> Islands being diners. Yes, what? that's exactly right. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But I, so if you're asking a friend or a date out and you want to go to a diner, they say, do you want to go to a Coney Island? And they say, yeah, I'd absolutely love to go. They, they, yeah, they they'd say which it. one. Wow. Your Coney Island, my Coney Island, the one down the block, the other one down the block. You got to be specific. Coney Island. Actual Coney yeah. Island. Take the D train down. You know, it's interesting that you guys talk about like diners and cooking because like a line that always stuck out to me was at the end when he says, do I smell? I smell home cooking, which is cool because it's totally something you wouldn't associate with a city, right? But yet like both of the examples you guys gave of your experiences in cities talk about that diner atmosphere, basically home cooking. So that's cool. Mm, yeah, you're right. That's truly really interesting. Well, firstly, I love that verse. Did I forget to mention, forget to mention Memphis, home of Elvis and the ancient Greeks? I think that's so clever. I love that. It's Memphis, such a cool line. Across the world, across time and space, home of Elvis and the ancient Greeks. Do I smell? I smell home cooking. It's only the river. It's only the river. I like that. That's just such a great, such a great verse. I want to get back to that river line, but I have a question as well. The ancient, the, I know the ancient Egyptians were in Memphis. Were the ancient Greeks in Memphis too? Like, I thought he sort of, like, put it in there because he was referencing the ancient Egyptians, but Greek rhymes better, and it's also cool and just interesting that he did that. Were the Greeks in Memphis? That's a will question. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> you have stumped me, Devin. <laughs> Actually, I would be curious if the Greeks were either in the Memphis around Egypt or the Memphis in Tennessee. Memphis yeah. is in Tennessee, right? I didn't get yeah. that. Yeah, yes. Okay, good. Geography is important. Um, Memphis, Tennessee is in the south west corner of the state yeah it's right on the border with the other states that are to the west of tennessee whichever states those are but i have no idea where the city of memphis was in ancient like eurasia was it like it was mediterranean right but which yeah, side of the mediterranean sea was it on in africa it's actually right by oh. where like the nile river has its convergence Delta. what i'm looking for right near cairo Wait, was Cairo actually Memphis? What? What are we? Well, here's a question. Does, uh, when they say it's only the river, it's only the river, which river are they talking about? Are they talking about the Nile or this, or may, this may out me? Yeah, I was going to say the, the oh, Mississippi. Oh, nice. 
we're learning things now. This is cool. That's what we're here for, to learn. It's kind of like, well, we, we didn't learn anything. We just have questions. <laughs> which, where is Memphis? Which river are they talking about? We have no idea. We've gotten no closer to understanding what he was talking about. But we did start thinking about geography. And in a way, that's learning, right? Did we learn anything yet? Well, at the ancient Greek, Socrates' whole learning method is just ask questions, right? He would just keep asking questions, and then his students would eventually get it. So there we go, right? The ancient Greek. The Socratic method. We're talking Socratic method right now. Yeah, I think you're totally right, Devin. Um, I mean, we wouldn't have learned any more than what we just did if we typed in Google. And even if there were a couple other factoids that weren't relevant to that conversation, what is Google search other than asking other people more questions who in turn have their own questions? Wait, I want to talk about that was, I'd never thought of that. It is. It's just Google is asking questions to people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Google, Google doesn't know anything. Google doesn't give you any answers. It just brings you to the people that know the answers. So same with Yahoo answers. Yahoo answer doesn't have any answers. The people that use it have the answers. Right? This is like a major epiphany for me, actually. Google doesn't have answers. It's just, other, it's just connecting you with people who do have answers. I know that's very basic, but I never thought of it that way. Wow. It's beautiful. Yeah, and the three of us all have our own pieces of information, our own questions that we piece together. And so like, I'd say this, this three-way call right now is Google. Our podcast is Google. You know, I'll say it. I'll make that claim. Our podcast is as good as Google. It's going to become a verb. We're all Google. I think you should uh, look into selling your podcast. It's probably worth a lot in stock right now. Yeah, everyone, listeners, please invest in our stock. Um, DKSMS is the stock name. I don't know about enough about stocks, the abbreviation. And yeah, the next Google. Shares are, um, shares are, what's the share price? 15 cents. We're starting off cheap here. Get in, get in while the getting's hot. That's our slogan. <laughs> Devin and Kevin, stop making sense. The next Google. That's what we used to settle with. <laughs> Listen, it's all, you talk, you talk it up enough and then I want to talk okay, about that but line. This, I think this, I was really curious as to what Devin had to say about the river line because I didn't understand the connection until we were talking about the Nile and the Mississippi River. So what, what were your thoughts before your questions about the river, Devin? Yeah, so I was totally different. So I was actually going back to the course. I'm checking them out. I'm checking them out. I got it figured out. I got it figured out. I mean, at first, it's like someone who's visiting a bunch of cities and trying to find a city that he wants to live in. But when I saw that line, it's only the river, it's only the river. It was almost like for me that he's figuring out, like he's asking, what's a city about, right? I, what, how do you figure out cities? And Really, when we think about cities at their most basic form when they first started, it is only the river. Cities were built along rivers, civilizations like Mesopotamia and the Nile and Egypt. Cities were always built along rivers, so it's almost like he's figuring out that's what a city's about, right? A river or a harbor if you're in New York City or in a major port area, but it's all about the rivers. You heard it here first, folks. It's all about the rivers. Uh, that's it. Thank you so much. This has been a great show. 13-part series. Will, thank you for joining us. Devin, thank you for joining us. It's all about the rivers, baby. I think that's a great point. I mean, uh, the, uh, the river valley, the river civilizations, that's where, we all, that's where we all really came from, you know? That's where civilization came from. And I think we're just so far removed for that because of the ancient Greeks creating complex irrigation systems and later on civilizations creating agriculture and electricity where we can move anywhere. We can live in El Paso, moving to a different verse that has an interesting backstory. This verse isn't in every version of cities. It's only in some versions of cities. So down El Paso way, things get a little spread out. People have no idea where in the world they are. Go up north, Come back south, y'all. Still got no idea where in the world they are. So that's in some versions, but not others. So without these complex systems, maybe in El Paso, you won't be able to live there as efficiently because you're not right by the Nile, the Mississippi. But now we're able to live in these different areas. It's very interesting. I mean, some of us live in New York. Some of us live in... Will, right? You live in California now, right? That's a recent thing. Yeah. 
I live in a place that's defined by a large bay of water that like forms an inlet into the country. So let's test our theory here, continuing with our Socratic method. Will, we picked this song for you because you've lived in many cities. How many of those cities have had large bodies of water by them? All of them. All of them. Every single one. And all of them were founded there because of the, the massive socio-political implications of those bodies of water. Could you give some of the cities you've lived in? You don't have to give your exact addresses. I'll put those in the description. Sure. Um, Social but security you number. Um, yeah, Venmo, everything. Um, yeah, so I'm from Cleveland, which is on Lake Erie. And so that was important for you know, French explorers and the fur trade coming in and then um, industrialization. And I went to college at Fordham um, in New York City. That's on the, on the East Coast. I lived in Detroit this past year, which is on, on the border of Canada, actually. It's an important international water is the Detroit River that connects Lake Erie to the other lake that's there. I don't know which one. Oh, I currently live in Berkeley, California, which is in the Bay Area. So it's by the Golden Gate Bridge and the Golden Gate like is the are the two rocks that like form a small opening into the bay and it's been a very important uh, geographic area for a long long time fantastic yeah it's it's amazing well firstly you've lived in a lot of places secondly the fact that they're all right by large bodies of water these are such basic civilized ideas to be by water equals civilization but it's just interesting because I think we're so removed from that being that we're on a zoom conference call all across the world. We can kind of just live and settle wherever we want. But the fact that since you've been to so many places, you really see how these bodies of water take different shapes and how they influence everything. It's so basic, but that makes it, that's what makes it so profound. I like it. Yeah. And I think we're starting to get closer to what haunts me um, and, and what I'm afraid of. Although it's not something that I, th I think we should be haunted by or afraid of, um, I think more accurately, it's something that we, we should think about and recognize a lot more. And that's that our whole concept of civilization is inherently um, based in hegemonic values. It's based in colonialist and racist values. Um, and this whole idea of wandering and expanding, just going anywhere you damn well please, and like forming like your own communities to displace um, other people, such as Native Americans. And that's the foundation for all of these different cities. These old cities that I just described are all very old um, in terms of the years that you know, European people have been here, but they're much, much older and much there's a much longer and deeper history with the, the native peoples that lived here before us. And so I think that's a little bit closer to what I was describing when I said that the song is kind of haunting. That's uh well, that's very profound. Firstly, my first question is what does hegemonic mean? Now I oh, definitely know yes, what it means, but just for the listeners at home, <laughs> uh, can you just reiterate? Um, my best definition of hegemony I think it's basically where one group or in-group like forms their own like so society slash culture and then they impose that society slash culture on all of the outgroups that it interacts with. Devin, can you back me up here? Yeah, like I, I know it, it literally means like leadership or dominance over someone else, but I think it's exactly right. It has okay. the connotation of one society dominating another. Like that's when you use it. Yeah, I feel like, you know, being the interpreter of this, maybe being the voice of the people at home, I feel like the systems that people, the average person sees is maybe, well, firstly, imperialism, colonialism, post-colonialism, and then also maybe more directly um, gentrification in certain areas. We live on coastal cities. Mm -hmm. uh, me and Devin are in New York. 
gentrification is a big problem everywhere, but especially there. And I think that's where people maybe, especially myself, see these types of hegemonic trends occurring. Thank you for bringing that to the attention. That's a great point, Will, that, that these things of finding yourself a city, find yourself a city to live in. I also felt that, that it's a very privileged statement. Well, think about where, the, where this band is coming from is New York. I mean, we're all were in New York at, at a certain time and you have a certain mindset when you're in New York or I personally was born in New York. Devin, you were born in New York, correct? Mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. You're born in New York. And then that influences every city you go to. You always have to compare it back to New York City. And it feels very, I mean, I did it with London. I was like, well, this isn't the diner food that I normally get. It must be worse. And it's not fair. You go in with this skewed view of what a city is supposed to be. You go to London, it's a small city. Oh, there's a lot of rich people in Birmingham. People in El Paso have no idea where they are. It's such a privileged concept that this singer is singing with. And I can't help but face that I feel that way whenever I go to a new city. I'm always comparing it to how I was at home. And it's not fair. And it seems like there is a coastal elite attitude that's going through whenever this singer goes to a new city. They're never happy with the city. And they're always just kind of tongue-in-cheek commenting on how the city operates. And although there's some positives and negatives, that in Birmingham, there's a dry ice factory where there's a good place to think. It's not really a good compliment. It always seems skewed by this coastal elitism that that plagues this. And it's kind of what Will said. You have to face this if you are a New Yorker or or both on the coasts. We have to face this whenever we go to a different city. Yeah, and it's interesting too because this is a very surface level song. It's giving these very like general statements about the city. But there is. There's this history. There's this past that we need to confront. I mean we should confront. Do we need to? That's, I think, a good question that's raised by this song, right? He's very able to jump from city to city and look at it only from surface level. Is that a disservice to the city? Can you ever call yourself a person? Can you, New York is a perfect example, right? Everyone wants to be a New Yorker. People live in New York for a little bit and they start calling themselves New Yorker, but what does that entail? What does that mean? What history, what past are you taking along with you when you call yourself, when you give yourself that title? Something, I, I currently live in New York. I live in Manhattan. And I've lived there for, well, we went to college. All three of us went to college in New York. And so that, that's at least, you know, four years in the city. We lived in the Bronx. I lived in New York State my whole life, but not in the city, close by. But now that I live in Manhattan for just over a year now, I look at pigeons sometimes. And I say, this pigeon has been in New York, is, an, is more of a New Yorker than me. And they've been in New York their whole lives, and they're so much more New York. They, can, they push me out of the way on the sidewalks. It just makes me feel, it humbles me and puts me back in my place when I like to say I'm a New Yorker. I got to earn my stripes. I got to earn my wings just like the pigeons did. Yeah, that's an excellent point, um, especially about demonyms, um, which for those following at home, a demonym is the name for a person who lives somewhere. So a person from Ohio, I'm from Ohio, I'm an Ohioan. Um, and demonyms are very important, especially to the people who are from born and raised in that area. Um, for example, um, in Detroit, it's very specifically defined. Um, you're a Detroiter if and only if you were born um, inside Detroit or you attended high school in uh, attended a high school in Detroit. So those are the only two things that they allow in that definition. And um, and I, I think um, it's important as like a wanderer, like I, I consider myself sort of as a wanderer since I've lived in all these different cities over the past year um, to respect um, the demonym and respect these boundaries. And and know your place, know that um, the people living here are the ones who have laid the groundwork and built the systems that allow you to become part of that society. Well, that's a great point. I like that. It would be very nice to have a strict definition of what makes a New Yorker because I'm definitely a New Yorker. I live my whole life in New York State. New York State is a, is a huge state 
with a lot of places to live, a lot of different topographies you can live in. I always say where I live, 20 minutes to the city, 20 minutes to the middle of nowhere. It's really interesting, and I'm right smack in the middle. But I can call myself a New Yorker, absolutely, but it's a totally different echelon than a New York City-er. But no one calls it that. You're just a New Yorker. I like that Detroit has a very specific syllabus that you need to get through to, to achieve it. So, Will, I have a question for you. Since you've been hopping around from city to city, finding yourself, finding yourself a city to live in, what do you say when someone says, ask, ask where, you, where you're from, do you say where your hometown is or where you just had come from? That's a really good question because um, I've answered this three different ways um, in different contexts when people say, where are you from? Um, because, well, I'm entering a graduate school program now and um, it's um, one of like the introductory whatever things is like explaining where you did your undergrad, right? And so I come from Fordham. I come from New York, right? Um, but where I'm from originally, I usually say Ohio or Northeast Ohio near Cleveland. Um, and, um, and, but some conversations, it's clear that like we were talking about like the moving process since I just moved here the past month. And so I came like very directly from Detroit. And so like, I'm not from Detroit, um, but like I'm coming from Detroit. Yeah, which is an important step. You can't just totally leave that out. But you also can't totally leave out Cleveland, and you definitely can't leave out New York either. It's very interesting. You'll just keep, it's kind of like those uh, family names that keep adding up and adding up, and they add on. Kind of like, uh, I know, Devin, we brought this up of uh, 100 Years of Solitude, where they keep going, adding Jose Arcadio Buendia, and over and over the name keeps lengthening and changing form, but always roots. So Will is like, Will Beatriz of California, New York, Cleveland, Detroit. And it'll just keep going on and on and on. But I'm just Kevin of New York, New York State. Devin, where are you from? I'm from New York, but I lived in Ohio. So I was born in the city, but I lived in Ohio for three years. I lived in Long Island for the majority of my life, but I also moved around Long Island too. So it's interesting when we talk about, that was always something big for me when I say, where am I from? especially moving to Fordham, right? Like I want to say I'm a native New Yorker, like as in New York City, but I was only born there. The majority of my life was spent on Long Island. So I guess I have to claim I'm from Long Island. Well, here's a question, uh, Devin. Is Long Island a part of New York City? And there's a right answer to this. So here's, I want to bring something interesting in that a teacher actually told me. I was in this anthropology class and he said that New York, and Will, you can probably speak to this best. He said, New York City is not part of America, right? It's not an American city, and at least in my experience with other, like when I compare it to like Chicago or maybe even Boston, it's not the same. It's a totally different, it's like a different world. It's like being in a different country. Long Island is not part of New York City. I'm going to say that right confidently that Long Island does not count as part of New York City. Queens, yes, but the rest of it, the Hamptons, no. But it's interesting, right? Is New York City a part of the United States? Is it like any, I'll ask you, Will, is it like any other city you've been to? Well, New York City is absolutely not like any city I've ever been to. It's just, whether that's lived or visited, New York City is a beast unto its own. It's very unique. Well, I have a follow-up question. So how I was saying before, how I'm born in New York State, right outside New York City, I have to compare every city that I go to to New York City. I have no other option. It's just ingrained in my brain. Since you came from a different part of the world, different part of the country, and came to New York City and then lived there for four years and then left, did you find that you're able to judge the city differently when you came from Cleveland and then moved to New York and then you went to Detroit and Berkeley where you're like, oh, I have more backgrounds? Or did you, once you came to New York, then you had that new standard for city or do you can you still go back to your roots of cleveland well i'm actually i'm from the suburbs of cleveland not actually cleveland itself um that's an important distinction that uh, i try to make and the reason i make the distinction is suburban america just kind of sucks in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) suburbs really like they're not really that much different from one to the other these communities that were propped up around the country in the 50s and 60s and throughout the century, essentially running away from cities 
the planning that goes into what it takes for a community to be all that it can be wasn't just didn't happen when the suburbs were created. And I guess like one detail I would point to is like car centered um, developments and car and house centered developments as opposed to walking and people centered developments and communities. You said you keep saying that you compare everything to New York because you come from a town which like constantly looks towards New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you're from, from Rockaway, right? Oh, uh, Rockland. No, I, not Rockaway. Rockland. Rockland County. Rockland. Rockaway would be okay. New York City. Rockland yeah, is, uh, okay, that's right. Yeah. Well, if I could hop in, it's very interesting that we all came from the suburbs outside major metropolitan areas. So in a way, like Kenny said, that there's these baseline aspects of sub- the suburbs that don't really change. You're from the suburbs outside Cleveland. I'm from the suburbs outside New York City. So is Devin. Devin's neighbors might say I'm upstate, even though I'm very downstate. But Devin, if I'm not mistaken, you're also from the suburbs, which is the great island of Long Island, correct? Yeah. I mean, born in New York City. Only lived there for the first two years of my life, but I consider myself a New Yorker deep down. <laughs> but something I want to jump off your suburbs um, point, and correct me if I'm wrong too well, interject. But like you're saying a problem with suburbs is that they're very homogenous. There's not a lot of, versus the city, where it's eclectic, you have people from all over the world, at least in New York City, um, which is our frame of reference meeting there, the suburbs are all the same. And I think something we often, a point we often come to when we're talking about these songs is like the dangers of only associating with people who think and talk like you and the importance of exposing yourself to other perspectives, which you can't really do in the suburbs. And also another point you're making too about like humility, right? Going into these cities, the speaker of this song, I almost see him like you, right? Because he doesn't claim ownership of any of these cities. He's a wanderer. He's just making observations. He's experiencing it. He's seeing what he's around him. He's saying, look over there, but he's never claiming ownership, which is always a dangerous thing to do. So just the ideas of like acting with humility, exposing yourself to other perspectives, the dangers of the suburbs. Is this anything you were getting to? Yeah, absolutely. And it seems that he does not end up claiming a city for himself or as his, for his future, for his home. Um, by the end of the song, at least he's standing on a razor, a razor thin edge here because he goes and he's, he like drops a city and drops one observation about one thing he saw in that city. And then that's what he thinks of an entire region of people. So the line, the lines about El Paso, people from El Paso not knowing which direction they're going, I think is a specifically problematic like, example of that. But then you also sort of see it coming out where he confuses e- e- Egyptians with the ancient Greeks. As That's well. interesting. It's coming from a place of ignorance because like, we don't even know which, which like, civilizations we're talking about at this point. We don't know which Memphis, we don't know which time in history. We, d- we can't tell the Greeks from the Egyptians. So that was something when you were telling me that what I was thinking about too is because, yeah, I looked it up. I cheated, guys. I looked at Google. The Greeks were never at Memphis. That was the Egyptians. It's interesting that our singer here is so flippant that he's willing to claim Memphis for the ancient Greeks. He's flipping that down to them. It's not the Egyptians. And I like what you said, that he doesn't really care. It is really um, just a disregard because I was thinking almost like I was interpreting as this person is traveling from city to city but can't find a place where he belongs because he doesn't have those roots, right? He'll never fit into that community. But I almost like more what you said, this interpretation of this person who you can almost picture them like on their camera the entire time, just taking pictures, never taking a moment to enjoy the city or learn more about it. Just the fact that I can post on my social media that I went to London and Birmingham and El Paso and Memphis. It is, it is a very flippant, I'll go with that again, flippant song. I mean, is this, mm-hmm. is this person even going to these cities? He never says, there's never any mention of any travel, right? It's just, he could be on Zillow looking at freaking Yelp reviews of restaurants and houses in these cities. And he's just like, oh, El Paso, they don't even know where they are. Oh, a lot of rich people in Birmingham. Just like kind of making it up, these stereotypical assumptions of these cities only to come back get on the CBGB stage and sing about it to a bunch of New Yorkers. And they're like, oh, yeah, El Paso, it is. There are a bunch of people. They don't even know where they are. We do, though. <laughs> yeah. What an asshole. <laughs> is what I'm saying. He's in, New York. 
You know what? You're right. He's a New Yorker and he doesn't care about the other cities. London, whatever. It's that English city. You know, it's dark in the daytime. El Paso, it's too big. It, now I sort of see it from the perspective of like a New York City, someone who's a proud New Yorker who could care less about those other cities, right? Yeah. When I went to, when I went to London, I went with a bunch of New Yorkers and I met up with all of them. And I went with my good friend, Dan, and he was there a few days before me and I met him up at the hotel and I say, Dan, how, how is London? And he's like, you know, Kevin, I like to think of this city as the city that always sleeps. Everything's closed at like 10 PM. No one's ever doing anything. And we're just so used to being in the Bronx where everything's open 24 hours, bars close at 5 AM. But in London, everyone's like, I got to sleep. I'm sleeping in the daytime, let alone at 10 PM. I'm going to bed. And he compared all of London to a large Staten Island. And if that's not the, just the most East Coast America elitist thing, <laughs> because I agreed with him at the end of it. Wow. But uh, <laughs> the city that always sleeps, right? I like that. And we'll, we'll leave it on that. I think we touched a lot of good things. Let's take a quick break because um, I think my elitist is showing and I need, I need to take a break. But, you know, let's go. Let's take a quick break uh, and we'll come back in a bit with Will and Devin. The national view of Detroit is like through the lens of like white investors, essentially like what opportunity is there for white people to make money here? And that's the only lens that people like people call it the comeback city. Like it's on a comeback now, but it's like, no, Detroit's always been here. Detroit's always been grinding. They've always been doing awesome work, like amazing black communities, like being communities and doing their thing here um, or there rather not there anymore. The devastation from like the bankruptcy and all these uh, economic problems have largely come from white liberals that come from outside Detroit, but like claim they're from Detroit because they're from the suburbs of Detroit. And so they don't really have a huge stake in what's happening there, but they're claiming they do. And so that's what's dangerous and something that's actively happening, which is why it's, it really bothered me to like listen to this song and think of like, oh, since the song was written, this same attitude has been put in place over the past 30 years to actively shape like all of the um, displacement and gentrification that we've seen. The only reason I kept being distracted is because there's this big spider behind me, but <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to it and it's interesting. Yeah, well, I'm definitely okay. going to keep that in, but I just yeah. need to grab some water and we'll, we'll hop back in. I'm okay. definitely going to keep that in. And I uh, want to kill the spider. Kill it. Don't kill it. Don't kill the spider. Back. Spider gone. Did he die? Huh? Is the spider dead? I put it outside. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's at the root. Each of you are teachers. We, we were talking about how, in the beginning, how we're, we were learners. We were actively learning from each other. And now look at us. We're teachers. Well, you two are teachers. I hope to think that I've taught people in the past. But uh, I am your You're teacher teaching us today. now. Yeah. Yeah. What is teaching besides a, besides a partnership and learning? Nice. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my freaking bulletin board, man. You want that? <laughs> that is going in my classroom. 100%. I love that. What is teaching? What is partnership and learning? Thank you, Will. That's awesome. I'm going to write that thing. I didn't come up with that. So you can, you can find someone else to quote. <laughs> but do not give me credit for that. You know, that's really great, uh, both of you guys, that you found something so powerful uh, in teaching in terms of fulfillment from how you impact others to becoming a lifelong learner yourself. I think that's really the root of why Devin and I, and then of course, will you today and hopefully in the future um, sit down and have these conversations. I mean, we've been having these conversations for years. We've known each other for going on three years. Is that correct? We've all known each other for three years. And this is really the root of our relationship is having these conversations where we're just so comfortable going anywhere. And I think that's just so important. And I just want to take a moment outside the characters that maybe we're portraying or maybe just myself in terms of a podcast where we're reproducing a conversation that this just feels so natural. And it's such a nice experience to be in. I'm trying to uh, 
savor moments. I'm going to savor this moment right now. So thank you both for allowing me to do that. It's very nice. Yeah, thank you for facilitating, giving us a platform to do it on. Thank yous all around. This episode is brought to you by us, teaching you. And I think that's what's so awesome about Talking Head Songs as the root is that we just broke down the verse and the chorus and we went all over the place and talked about these awesome, beautiful things. And it's just really great. And the idea of fearing music is something that I like that, Will, you brought up today, is that songs are going to make you feel things. And so it's not all going to be sunshine and rainbows, especially this album. We did Memories Can't Wait from this album before. And I believe I said my first impression was that I felt personally at- antagonized by that song. I didn't feel good. I don't feel great when I'm listening to these songs. City's a little more upbeat and funky. Like, I like listening to the song, but it's not a top 40 hit. And it's not something that you can turn your brain off to. You have to engage with it just like you have to engage with the city you're living in just like you have to engage with the people that you surround yourself with it's just it attacks us in a way and it's just part of music that i like that was acknowledged in this moment i was on and talking about again about fear right that line there are a lot of rich people in birmingham a lot of ghosts and a lot of houses so i was like what is that about and i want to look into it further and i looked up ghost stories in birmingham And there are a lot of ghost stories in Birmingham, but one that stuck out with me in particular was the story of Harry or Henry the Hacker. So this is actually a true story, and this is where the ghost comes from. From 1919 to 1924, 18 people were murdered and 16 people were injured by a group of axe murderers in Birmingham, Alabama. The people who were murdered were mainly immigrants. So the axe murderer, who they still don't know if it was solo or a group of them, was thought to have targeted immigrants. Now, this is early 1900s Alabama. Black men were blamed for it, and police said all black men in the city with a criminal record were suspect. There was no evidence of it, but they just decided that it must be black men attacking immigrants. All black men in the city are suspect. The Ku Klux Klan was actually welcomed into the town by the police to keep control. The story gets even more wild, though. So in 1922, three years into the murder spree by these axe murderers, The police are desperate for evidence. They follow a tip from a a Montgomery man who said that he communicated with a Ouija board and it told him who the possible suspects were. So the cops followed a tip based on a Ouija board, right? And also at the same time, newspapers are telling merchants to wear World War I helmets to protect their heads from axe murders across the city. So they ended up taking in five suspects, all of them black men. And these suspects were injected with truth serum and they confess to the crimes on Christmas Eve. It's something called scopolamine, which is a drug that's given to women who are giving birth. It's meant to, I think, alleviate pain. But the police officers and then the jury, or I'm sorry, the lawyer who was prosecuting them, claimed that they were injected with truth serum and they confessed to it. And they just kept clumping a bunch of different crimes into it. People who had been murdered with shovels and hammers were also blamed on the ax game, right? The murders of two interracial couples blamed on the supposed game even though it had nothing in common with the merchandise. So the history is a little unclear, but I believe all five or most of the men were either put to death or died in jail. But years, years later, right, present day, investigators were looking into this story and they interviewed a man named Butch Baldone, who was the grandchild of a family that was assaulted, two grandparents and their grandchild. They survived the attack. And Butch Baldone said, that those attacks were by the Italian mafia. So the Italian mafia was trying to establish themselves in Birmingham, doing all of these attacks, right? They were trying to get their roots there. But Butch Baldone claims that his family sort of took the law into their own hands, and that's when the murders stopped. Yes, it coincided with those men being convicted, but he said it had nothing to do with them. It was the Italian mob trying to integrate themselves with the city. I just want to share that story because I think it's so cool, and it's so crazy and just insane. What do we think? I think it really touches on everything that we talked about. The songs, it opens up something new to think about when you're listening to that verse of a lot of ghosts and a lot of houses in Birmingham. And also talks about these things with suburbia, gentrification, colonialism, imperialism, racism that comes with having to face what city life 
entails and the history of it and us as three people trying to discuss it now. I think that's just such, firstly, tragedies rooted in racism and rooted in lies and pseudoscience. But these are the things that are at the root of the civilization that we're living in. And going back to what Will said is it's scary to face this. And it's amazing that music is what has gotten us to this point, being the root and the inciter of this conversation that made us look up a, a little piece of history that means a lot that maybe we would have never thought of if we haven't chosen to, to do cities this week. I would have never known that. Well, I was going to ask you about the guitar solo because I really wanted that to be <laughs> a, a part of this episode. Um, Absolutely. But like thinking about ghosts and haunting and 100 years of solitude, which one of my professors at Fordham actually said, one of two books that has ever made him cry and still keeps him up at night. Hauntings from the past, ghost stories, and you know, like very real histories of racism. And you know, a haunting is is unique because what like what's what's happening with the haunting? It's a ghost from the past, so it's a past event that's affecting and still happening, still as an agent today. And so it is past and present. It spans time. And I, I think that's why, that's part of why ghost stories are so popular, first of all, because it's very, like, it's deep into our psyche. But it's also this guitar solo. I couldn't tell what was going on. I was scared. I don't know about you. Um, and it sounds like a ghost. Like, it sounds like a ghost talking to you. I don't know, Kevin, play the clip. <laughs> you, you just made me have so much more work of having to recreate that solo. <laughs> Sorry, I'll recreate I don't have license. I have to do that. Well, uh, I'll learn how to do it. It's super. Okay. So this, I, we may have mentioned it before, but this song was cut from the final cut of Stop Making Sense. Tube. They cut Izimbra, Big Business, and Cities. And Cities I think it's the definitive version. I think it's the best version. It's super cool, the Stop Making Sense version. But, you know, after the second verse, Byrne goes into the solo where there's no notes. He just uses the mic stand as a slide. Slides are very, you know, common in blues. If you listen to any Allman Brothers song, you hear that slide. Usually it takes the place of, you know, a metal or a glass ring on a guitar's finger, and there's no plucking or specific frets being played you just slide up and down but burn being the new york city punk genius that he is just uses what's available to him which is the mic stand and it's awesome it's awesome like you said will it's not like any solo it's almost frightening what he's doing and it catches you off guard and there's nothing technical to it it's just very simple and resourceful but that's what makes it so cool. And that's what makes it stand out. It's awesome. It's so cool. <laughs> that's all I can say. I was just talking about ghosts. Um, thank you for the, the, a little bit of background on the, on the solo and sort of how that works. I was trying to think of how it like worked musically with these themes that we're talking about, this theme of haunting. Yeah. It fits right in the song. It doesn't seem out of place. I, I, it's interesting that you thought of it as a ghost or as haunting sound. I thought it kind of sounded like a big truck engine or something or, or, a, or a car like zooming down a highway going from place to place because that was maybe the gap in my head. There was no traveling from place to place. Maybe that was the big truck that he's going from place to place in of this big engine that's, that's bringing him around, making a bunch of noise, pulling into these small uh, small cities as he calls them. Uh, and just being like, what's up, guys? I'm in my big truck motorcycle. Uh, I'm here to judge you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, hauntings, ghost, industrialization. Byrne was very deliberate on this album. He said in his previous albums, he sort of had these nice people in normal situations, people in society. He said, for fear of music, I want to put my characters in dystopian situations. And I've always struggled to figure out how cities fits into that. But after this conversation, I completely understand these aren't 
nice trips to cities. It is. It's a dystopia. You could almost see him entering the ruins of these different cities, right? It's like a Mm. post-apocalypse and he's going through. And maybe that explains why he's giving such shallow um, overviews of them. But London, small city, dark in the daytime. El Paso, it's too spread out. But maybe he's a ghost. Maybe he's the shadow, Mm. a single memory of each of these cities that's wandering around. That's why it's so shallow. That's why it's so distinct is that he's the ghost of these cities. They're past, especially that line, dry ice factory about like industrialization and the parts of the cities that are forgotten. Yeah. That's an interesting twist, twist ending right there. He's the ghost. Um, I actually was thinking by the end of the song, I thought I'm the ghost. Um, <laughs> that the listener to the song is the ghost. Um, yeah. I'm moving between these cities. I'm white. I have families that, you know, grew up in the suburbs like I, I don't know if if my families took part in the white flight from the cities, but I do know that you know, like I you know, I benefit special privileges from whiteness in our society. And so like I very much I see all these problems as being stemming from me when I listen to the song. Hmm. I do like the idea of of the listener being the ghost or at least the singer being the ghost it reminds me of you know when you when you watch a horror movie the ghost needs its final resting place it needs a resolution to go and and to move on and it never like you said he never finds a place i will find find myself a city to live in not this one not this one just onward onward trying to find its final resting place and at the end of one of the chorus he literally says i will find find a city to live in help me like help me please someone help me and it's almost like his uh his answer isn't <laughs> isn't received now i'm scared i was so happy with the song and will has frightened me into but that's cool now i can go back into the song maybe transferring over to stay hungry what we're gonna do when we revisit this song or going forward i'm gonna be a little more afraid of this song a little more creeped out maybe it's the line it all works out though I'm a little freaked out. The song works out, though I'm a little freaked out now of the song and kind of my life. It goes with my life. My life works out, though I'm a little freaked out. I'm going to find a resting place. And maybe it's here with you two talking about these things. Lovely. Thank you. Yes, I could die here. (laughs) Well, that's a surprise because at the end of every episode... (laughs) 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 Oh, no. Uh, Is that why I haven't seen Rachel in, like... <laughs> we, uh, we usually what? do a game of Devin and Kevin die, but uh, we did it. We still died. <laughs> we died. We've been dead the whole time. <laughs> we didn't time. even need to. You're the ghost. <laughs> We're the ghost. But actually, that's my stay hungry too. Is that the stay hungry that I take away from this? Is what are the ghosts that I carry with me? Mm. And how do I, how am I a ghost? Right, just like you were saying. Well, am I intruding? Am I? The ghost, am I the person who can't find a place to settle and is only here to haunt or a haunting reminder of something? It's something I'm going to think a lot about and have to reflect on my relationship, my place and the places I'm living in and what the implications of that are. Hmm. Will? Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> Perfect. Any, final, any closing remarks, Will? No. Satisfied? Yeah, yeah. I've said what I've said, and I think I think Devin's spot on. I really, you were talking about our friendship earlier. I really, really appreciate, you know, getting to know the both of you over the past. Let's see, it's been four years for Devin, uh, three years for Kevin. Our conversations just they go anywhere and everywhere, and. Yeah, I, you know, through these conversations, I've processed some of the most um, horrifying things in my life, and I've processed some of the most, um, you know, exuberant, some of the most, like, I don't know, un, unthinkable things that I've thought. But yes, I appreciate this space very much and your friendships. Mm. Appreciate you, Will. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really a great conversation, a lot of things to think about. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Another great episode. Um, We found a good place to get some thinking done today. Uh, Will, thanks so much. And 
This has been Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense with our special host, <laughs> guest host, Will. Uh, tune in next time. Will, I'd love to have you back very soon. It'll be great. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> 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 oh, my God.